Namaste, motherfuckers, and welcome to Tantric Conversation, episode number 80, John Brown. Uh, my name's Curtis Payne, and this is my podcast, and this is my throat on cold, or allergies, I'm not sure if you one or the other, but it sounds husky, doesn't it? Uh, John Brown, he is a uh, currently a member of the band Horsehead with Kevin Inge. And uh, was previously in one of my favorite Richmond bands of all time, Dragstrip Syndicate. And uh, Kevin was also in that band, and so was Eric Sugg. All three of them have now been on the podcast. And uh, really liked that band, and I really like these dudes, and really like what they do. And um, I'll say right out here at the front of this podcast, even though you know these things are documents that stay online for ever and ever... Um, John Brown and Horsehead are playing tonight, I believe at the Camel, um, and the tonight being Saturday, March 26th, so that's when I'm posting this, and they're playing tonight, if it's not the Camel, you can figure it out, they're playing somewhere in Richmond, it's not that big a town, um, so I've been wanting to have John on here for a while, and then we sort of came up with the excuse of, uh, having it coincide with the release of this Iggy Pop record that was done with Josh Homme and uh, a number of Arctic Monkeys and somebody else, Dead Weather, maybe. And, um, <clears throat> you know, it was kind of... I mean, I have I really dig Josh Homme. He was one of an iconic guy to me. Started listening to Caius a little... sometime in the 90s. And, and uh, then... Queens of the Stone Age happened. I heard got that first record on Man's Ruin, and it, it just really kind of covered everything for me. You know, it was sort of smarting up uh, stoner rock, and and then incorporating all of these other sort of, and all of these other facets of music that I like, punk, and um, I don't know. I don't really feel like reeling off genres. Just suffice it to say that whatever the umbrella or the net that Josh Homme cast for his influences were the same as the things that I liked, the wide range. And so Queens of Stone Age expressed that. And I've been into him for a long time since that first record came out in 1998. Um, however, you know, I've changed. And um, as much as I love music, uh, identifying with a rock star and feeling connected to one and, you know, being in a band and all of those kinds of things have, that's not what I'm into these days. Um, I still love music, as I said, but I, I don't have that thing where, you know, you just got this, this musician that sort of is ta speaking for you and, uh, saying the things that you're not saying. And, uh, and yet is also a sort of an influence on how you might go about saying what you want to say. And, uh, you know, I had the opportunity to talk to Josh, like, 12 years ago and uh and in it he was talking about how Iggy Pop was that for him like he had um he heard The Idiot and he heard Lust for Life and he kind of reached this impasse where he was like well I mean th those records already have said what I want to say and why what's the point of me doing it and then he kind of had a, a moment when he realized well even if it's been said it hasn't been said by me and to me that kind of sums up the whole point of making doing any kind of expression any kind of art I mean, it is, even if you set out to absolutely emulate somebody else's shit, chaos dictates that it's going to have you in it, and therefore will 
be an expression of you, even if it is a complete ripoff. But nothing is a complete ripoff. You know, everybody who's ever made music has been is trying to do something sort of like what somebody they like did, and then they ended up with something else. And that's kind of the beauty of it. And um, so, you know, we John and I got together, and we were like, let's we're gonna we well we had talked about like just kind of sort of reviewing this record and discussing this Iggy Pop record that he did with Josh Homme. Um, but we got to talking, and the talking took on a life of its own, and we squeezed in a little bit of talk about that record at the end and, and, and played portions of three tracks and talked about them a little. And, uh, you know, I made it this nice little neat package of an hour podcast, and then I turned off the mics, and then we talked for like two more hours, and there was so much great shit that we uh, covered in that conversation and and I gotta say I'm reaching for the point where these podcasts can we can talk about the things on here that we talk about when the mics are off but you know the personalities in this town by and large and are not most folks are not ready to really be that open and that candid on something that's going to be recorded and I think that honestly my opinion has been since I moved away from Richmond lived in New York and then came back in the 90s and moved away and came back a couple of other times it's the big thing that is holding a lot of creative expression back is the uh, desire to present a particular kind of image in a really small town and you know one of the reasons that I just turn on the mic and start talking and I try not to edit these things um, for content and all of that is I want to put my money where my mouth is and say look I'm willing to put all of this shit out there right or wrong you know if it, it's it's honest it's where I'm at at the time and I'll you know I'll commit to it at the moment in time and I, I've always believed that that frees up the real expression the stuff that you're really trying to get at you know this was true of me back when I used to write for Punchline I, I would look at the things I'd written and I'd say this sucks I'm going to put this out here I don't want to commit to this opinion I don't want to be disagreed with and then I'd say look if I want to be any kind of writer I'm just going to put this shit out there and let people not like it and let people think I'm an asshole but or don't know what I'm talking about or I'm not qualified to be talking about this shit but you know I am and so are you and so is everyone else there there is should not be and this is one of the final things that John and I talked about it he was walking out the door there's nothing special about playing music and it's not so special that you can't do it. Anybody should play music. The We've developed this culture of uh, idolatry <laughs> around musicians. And, you know, for the longest time, it was just something that people did, you know. Like, it wasn't any bigger deal than whittling or some shit. You know, you fucking, somebody had a banjo, somebody had a piano. People just played, you know. Probably as far back as human beings existed, people used to just sit around a campfire and you know, bang on some drums and blow on some fucking reeds and like, you know, strum a gourd instrument with cat gut across it. It's it is it is a special thing in that it it allows you to express something that cannot be expressed through language or other forms of language, and it creates a communal conversation. But it's not something to be put on a pedestal. In my in my feelings these days, I I want more and more people to just step out and try and just play whatever, you know. Um, I just, I, you know, I, I'm happy that that the record industry has gone away and it isn't it is as able to create these people who can just sit on a throne and correct, collect royalties. I don't 
I don't dig that. I love the humble communal aspect of music. I love its accessibility. I love I love hearing people who aren't professional musicians play music. It's my favorite thing in the world. There's chaos and beauty and the unknown in there. The stuff that happens when you have no discipline, when you're just, you know, drawing from the subconscious void of your existence and and trying to give give voice to it through an instrument. I just think it's amazing. So, I mean, having said that, I I like this record that Josh Homme and Iggy Pop have made. I think it's great, but I don't. Neither one of these guys are a big deal to me anymore. I don't put them on a pedestal. I don't idolize them. Um, I, I now I guess I relate to them in their foibles as Josh being around my age and Iggy being an old man. You know, I I. Uh, I have I, now that I I relate to them as as middle aged dudes and old dudes and and um and that colors the music and I tr- I think I see it in a positive way but I you know it's a totally different relationship with me to look at Iggy Pop now or look at Josh Homme now as just grown men making music and I think if I just you know listen to that record as a as music of humble men which. They- they probably aren't, but if I look at it that way and and just be open to it and take it out of the context of Josh Homme's entire body of work and Iggy Pop's entire body of work, as well as cultural significance and icon, you know, iconic iconicness, whatever the fuck, um, it's just a record. It's a good record. It's got some great songs on it. It's got some great expressions on it. But for me, you know. Nowadays, it's so much like something just catches me sideways. There's no way I can pick the record that's going to be the record that I love. It's just going to happen to me. And that's, you know, that got that got fucked with for a long time by being working in indie rock and working in punk rock and, and writing about music and packing music into boxes and shipping it and living someplace where people were already sick of a record before it even hit street date. You know, having had that experience, music got really... Um, you know, you're always trying to quantify and, and objectify the really subjective experience of just being reached by some band, some music, some record. And I got to say, I'm, I'm back to that. I don't really care. I just care what like appeals to me when I hear it. And um, I'm no longer at all interested in trying to parse out where the cultural significance of a specific band and its relevancy lie. I just... Damn, talk about mental masturbation. But that's just me. That's my me on my trajectory, and I'm not trying to judge anybody that is into that. Um, I just, you know, I don't dig that so much anymore. And I love talking with John about music because he's a real lover of music, and he's always just done his own thing, and he makes, and he's gonna keep making music regardless of whether or not Horsehead Records sell to anybody. And that's that's really what. Uh, oops, something happened there, and the uh, computer froze up. So I was just gonna say, um, I guess that's what I dig, and I encourage you to go dig uh, Horsehead tonight if you don't get a chance to see him tonight. See him some other time. I play fairly regularly, and then, I mean, John does solo stuff. He does stuff with Kevin um, as the Dimmer Twins. I think, and then uh, there's the Full Moon Fever, which is John and, and Perbeer and Kevin doing Tom Petty tribute stuff. So um, I'm going to plug this back in to the intro 
but uh yeah technical difficulties and all that let's get on into the actual conversation <laughs> all right and you know i usually um i don't usually introduce or anything like sure, that yeah. because i'm gonna do that later yeah. you've, you've listened to these before, yeah oh, yeah right? yeah okay. i've listened to them so yeah. yeah, you started going to the gym. <laughs> I started going to the gym. It's nuts. Yeah, where do you go? Uh, Crunch Gym, mm-hmm. up on Brook Road. Mm-hmm. And um, I've noticed, you know, going to evenings. Yeah. Because I'm I'm totally new to all of it. Like mm-hmm. I don't know anything. I don't have, know how to know how to use some of the machines. Oh right. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a treadmill guy. Maybe get on one of those rowing machines. The mm-hmm. rest of it, some of it, I look at and I'm like. What does that do? You know, unless yeah. somebody gets on it, I have no idea yeah. what it does. <laughs> yeah, I feel like an idiot sometimes trying to figure out like the settings and all of that kind of shit. But uh, yeah, yeah, I do the same thing. But I it's been houses. really good for, you know, clearing my mind. Mm-hmm. And they also have the theater, so you can go and watch a yeah. shitty movie. <laughs> so you go to the, you go to the Crunch out there? Yeah, I go to the Golds, uh, and they have a theater too. Okay. Which I think the and they've been showing a lot of superhero movies, which I think are the absolute best thing. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy, while you're doing some. Well, it's nothing you know, like seeing somebody that's built that way to make you right. feel bad about yourself to actually right. work it's out. It's good motivation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Show, show Captain America, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, yeah. Crunch shows yeah. the the biggest. I, I would say the movies that no one wants to watch. Yeah. So, <clears throat> like the last one, the. Uh, Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt movie, the really really bad. Not Mr. And Mrs. Smith. I th- yeah, that's what it was. Oh yeah, yeah, that was the last one I saw. There. <laughs> <laughs> I that was all right, <clears throat> I guess. It's ridiculous, but it was it was okay. It, well, you know, as the first time I'd seen it, and you get mm-hmm. to the end of it, and you think, really, is that it? <laughs> oh, I don't even. It remember was the that. worst. It was one of the worst endings I've yeah. ever seen for a movie. It's, it was interesting seeing them beat the shit out of each other, though. <laughs> yeah. Shooting at each other and shit. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe that's um, how, they, you know, their, their relationship is on, like, a steady footing because of it. Yeah. You know, most husband and wives probably want to do that. Yeah. But do you do, can't do, legally. I wonder, I mean, <laughs> I haven't ever had a relationship where I didn't fight with the person that oh, I was yeah. with. I don't. I don't think it's healthy not to fight. Is yeah. it? I kind of. I kind of <laughs> like it actually. Yeah. Like I've always joked about. I, mean, I kind of like a woman that'll take a swing at me. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or at least look angry enough to do that. Like yeah. you see that fire in her eyes and you're like, she loves me. Yeah. She's got to. She's getting this mad. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> this there's matters. A, there's a there's a country song. It was like oh, I can't remember the title of it. Something like you know, wish we cared enough to fight about it once mm. in a while. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, I think that that's kind of one of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, basic caveman things you know mm-hmm. it's it's always been the caveman they, thing. always wanted it <laughs> yeah the, the caveman thing is not to be underestimated too because like there there are just so many we've done a lot like in our society or civilization to 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 educate us how we're supposed to be acting but we still got the same reptilian cortex yeah. you know instincts fight yeah. or flight adrenaline all that primal. shit that That's the motherfuckers primal. had a hundred, all that primal stuff has not ago. gone away. It doesn't go away. We're the same animals, you yeah. know. And oh, like, yeah. it's it's. I feel like that's got to be acknowledged more often because it's it's a miracle we're behaving as well as we are. Right. Well, know? if you consider <laughs> how long you know the planet has been here, mm-hmm. and then how long we've been here. Yeah. It's it, we haven't come that far. You know. No. We can't have come that far. All, all the all the <clears> far <throat> that we've come is could disappear basically overnight because it's right. just the education of civilization. Like we're still 
like stone age motherfuckers yeah. you know we just are taught different shit yeah. you know absolutely we're taught right from wrong we're taught you can't just bonk that girl over the head and right. drag her into the cave you know you gotta right from wrong changes all the time too though right you that's know? true it's true and without you know it's it's kind of a scary you all these people that are supporting donald trump i mean i feel like <laughs> i was gonna bring that up i wasn't sure if you wanted to talk about that but <laughs> Oh man! I don't want to put them down. But Say they, caveman. I start thinking about that. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> it is the basest shit. Though, yeah. The 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 people that he's appealing to people's base shit. Yeah. And these particular people are the same people that say fuck all that education shit. I know what I'm doing. You know. And yeah. I'm not putting them down. That that way of life works if you keep your ass in the woods or on the farm. But <laughs> it goes back to all know. the salesman stuff. Mm-hmm. I think Donald Trump is a salesman. He's probably a pretty good salesman. I mean, if you listen to him talk, he knows how to control control the conversation, right. or he knows how to say the right things for the crowd he's in front of. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I I've read sales books before because I've done sales jobs mm-hmm. and stuff, and I've looked at you know, and you see all these basic things that he, all these like earmarks of what he's doing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like he's selling himself to a very large group of people that probably for the most part don't vote yeah usually don't usually right and now they're showing up because yeah. he's selling them the they're right seriously shit. <laughs> coming literally coming out of the woodwork yeah for this uh, yeah and the funny thing about it is like i tr- i am trying because i give everybody a fair shake i'm not going to decide yeah. just based on the fact that i'm he's not one of me and i'm not listening yeah i've tried to listen and he's oh, not yes. saying anything oh yes he says nothing well, you know, I think it's perfectly natural as we get older. I mean, as I get older, I start to pay more attention. You know, mm-hmm. I'm paying more attention than I ever have before. Mm-hmm. And I, too, have watched what everybody has to say. Mm-hmm. And it is the scariest group of people. Maybe I'm just too aware of what's going on, mm-hmm. but it's the scariest group of people I've ever seen. Yeah. Well, you know, and you don't usually, <laughs> for whatever reason, they've the people that feel this way about other people, and and sort of like it's a very country kind of thing it's like the hatfields and mccoys kind of shit it's not simply racism right it's like me and mine you know i look out for me and mine you know we got our farm we got our shit we got our property and just stay the fuck away from us and let us take care of ourselves and and each clan you know it's a clan thing oh yeah and like uh, right now they've those people a lot of people have been selling to them. It's not Donald Trump's just like the fucking cherry on the oh, Sunday. Yeah. It's like all the hate radio. Well, he'll say that. whatever comes to the top of his head. Right. Like it just it's just coming out. Right. Um, but I think he's been that salesman for so long. It's all sales jargon that comes right. out. But he's just, I mean, before him, all these people have softened these motherfuckers up for him, like Rush Limbaugh. Right. And, and uh, yeah, because they say the same Glenn shit. Beck and, yeah. Same shit. They're saying the same shit. It's a conspiracy. These Round people, people are, up. Right. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're coming for not only your guns but your Bibles. Right, and they're gonna, you're going back in the arena yeah. with the lions and all yeah. that kind of shit. I mean, I I dated a girl whose parents believed that they lived yeah. up in Lynchburg. Right. They, hey, I grew up in Lynchburg. <laughs> yeah, under the shadow of Liberty. Did University. you really? Oh yes. Oh wow. I grew up there. My dad's a Baptist preacher. Is he? I see it up close because I still mm-hmm. go back and visit him. Um, and uh, the funny thing is, is Jerry Jr., who's in charge of all that stuff yeah. now, you know, he took over when Jerry died. He's He was so kind of middle of the road mm-hmm. up until recently. And Trump started coming around, and then he started, you know, he, he went and spoke at LU. And then, you know, Jr. comes out of the and says something about, you know, they can have guns in the dorm rooms. Oh, wow. 
they they allow guns in the dorm rooms at at LU now. So is this he he wasn't like that, and he's just recently he was kind very of, middle of the road, mm-hmm. like never he never really spoke out. There was no maybe nobody was asking. I don't mm-hmm. know. Because, you know, Jerry was always asked about that stuff. They came to him to whip up the base. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yes. Know, there's a five-point plan. It's kind of like what they, I mean, what they tried to do that was with Scott Walker. You know, the stuff that went on with him in Wisconsin and the yeah. unions and shit, that only partly had to do with Wisconsin and unions. It was oh, really yes. about building a fucking groundswell to do that shit nationwide. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, it's... <laughs> That's always the goal. I mean, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? I mean, the guys get in politics. It's never, it's almost never... Just to be local. It's show business for ugly people. <laughs> You've ever heard that before? I have. They yeah. can't play guitar, and nobody That's wants right. to see them do it. Like That's true, if yeah. Steve Miller came around now, he would go into politics. That's he would right. Fucking yeah. up there with Chris Christie. But back when he was doing it, we could see. Yeah, you. it's true. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly true. But you know, I I don't even know what. I mean, I I'll tell you this. I, I remember very vividly going to see Jerry Falwell's house. That was a thing. You'd mm-hmm. go, you'd drive by his house. It had a 10, 12 foot cement wall around mm-hmm. his property because he said so much crazy shit that people were going to come after him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, my brother and I went to his elementary school and middle school because my dad was a preacher. They give discounts to other preachers, kids mm-hmm. to go to those schools. And, um, they were in an assembly one morning. A guy came running in with an American flag and like shouting, you know, um, things at Jerry while he's speaking to the to the school, um, and that stuff happened all the time. So I think after he passed away and his son took over, maybe he was fearful of that. He didn't want I don't any know. trouble. He didn't want any trouble. No drama. But also, you know, <laughs> I don't know. If maybe maybe he was trying to learn something, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then now he sees his opportunity to get some some publicity. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Well, he's probably had somebody come to him and say, you know, we need you to come off the the bench here yeah. and get in this game because probably, we, we yeah. counted on your ability to whip up a certain kind of base. Yeah, he's probably he's probably more of a figurehead going. kind of thing. Yeah, uh-huh. and it's a he's got influence of, and they need that because of his name. You know, you, I, I mean, I work in sales kind of yeah. now, but like what my my thinking around it always is like, if I legitimately believe in the shit that I'm representing. Then I don't have to bullshit anybody. You don't have to read the Zig Ziglar books. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and it's really and I started this really when I was in music business. Right. When when I worked at this record label, TKO, I yeah. said, Look, I'm not gonna sell these records to anybody. There's people out there that want these records yeah. and I gotta figure out how to let them know we put one out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's kind of the way that I look at this and so a lot of times you encounter stuff that people I counter people that don't know they want what I got right you know yeah because they've already been so indoctrinated by other salesmen so like and and the thing that I've noticed that is this is in line with politics and actually that girlfriend I was talking about when I went up and hung out with her parents in Lynchburg yeah her dad and her mom were both very very like I mean his entire library in the basement was books about the Bible or you know treatises that's how my dad's entire library is my dad has like 2500 bucks books in his office and he's read all of them, mm-hmm. and every, literally every single one pertains to some study of the Bible. Yeah. So I look at that like, I'm 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 against the dogma of any organized religion that says that you're supposed to do anything bad to anybody else. And I like to yeah. stay on the positive. I think all organized religions, when you listen to the positive parts of them, 
they got something for you. Yeah. So I try to talk to this guy based on that. Right. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't agree with being so narrowly educated and you know what do they call sure. it? Um, um, what's the word? It's pedantic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know. And but I do think this guy, first of all, is a dad of this girl I like. Right. You know. So there's got <laughs> to be, be something, nice. You know, something. Well, there's. I mean, he he has something to do with her. Yeah. You know. So I really wanted to talk to him, listen to him, and and he said a lot of things I didn't agree with. Right. Um, but I was looking for the thing I did agree with and what he was saying. And in the past, that's kind of a bullshit thing to do. But yeah. when we left, she's like, I really like the way you talk to them because they think you're agreeing with them. Yeah. yeah. But you're really not. You, you just got to just... find some common ground and have a conversation. I do it with my dad every night. Almost yeah. every night I talk to my dad on the phone. And um, I do it all the time. We can talk about politics. Mm-hmm. Thank God he doesn't think Trump is sane in any way. Right, right. But almost as scary, he likes Ted Cruz. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> but we have these, we have conversations about stuff. We can still find some common ground everywhere. I mm-hmm. mean, if if you take the time to find common ground with people, you're going to find something. Yeah. They're just human, you know. So you're going to ha- find something. One of my best friends in Minnesota was like, Obama is going to be the worst president ever. <laughs> One term only. I mean, like, just totally yeah. ri- ridiculous shit. But I loved the guy, yeah. you know. I thought he was completely wrong. About his politics. I have relatives that are still saying he's the worst president ever. And, like, you can show them the statistics. How, you know, unemployment is half what it was when he went into office. Mm -hmm. Um, That's that's the one statistic. Gas prices are lower than they've been. (laughs) Right. Right. But I I don't see the... the, It's like a party thing. Mm -hmm. A lot of my relatives, it's like, if they're from another party, then... They're they loyal possibly, to their team. Yeah, they couldn't That's, possibly. It goes back you're, to what you're not saying. going to say that Tom Brady is a good quarterback right. if you're a Steelers fan, right? Right. Yeah. And and and, and it's a, it's a shame that people that it's that simple yeah. for people because there's so much more at stake yeah. than a fucking football game. But that's that's the psychology of it. Plus, they also trust. They don't trust their own evaluation of this shit they trust right. somebody else curating the oh, facts yes. for them yeah and they decide they trust glenn beck or rush Limbaugh or bill o'reilly is, yeah. or any of those motherfuckers drive and, time yeah <laughs> it's more clan shit though because it's you know we're more people are comfortable to people that look like them yeah you know and that's uh, understandable you know hating yeah. people that don't look like you is not understandable right. but, but the fact that you feel more comfortable naturally in a room so if Bill, you know, Bill O'Reilly looks like somebody you trust, then you're going to listen to him. Right. You know, but something about the, the color tie he's wearing or something. <laughs> yeah. Just the way he presents himself. Oh, yeah. yeah he reminds me of like old football coach from Alabama. Oh, yeah. Or, you know, that yeah. Kinda. My granddad wore that same suit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and they and the, yeah. so this like the, these people, I think, and, and like this isn't a political thing. This is a showbiz thing. These motherfuckers have been been coming up with a set list for like the last i don't know since the clinton administration i guess is really when this started and then basically these people turn on radio to hear their favorite hits and heavy rotation the same fucking shit getting touched on and all that is about to them is ears on the radio and and eyes on the set it's about ratings yeah and they have not they've been totally irresponsible with what they've been putting out there but they're essentially all they are is fucking you know, entertainers. Freebird, you know, play Freebird. You know, tell, talk about how the immigrants are stealing encore. my jobs. Every day you know? is an encore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it just it it and and like it seemed relatively harmless because right. the people that have been listening to that message have just been hanging out in their armchairs. But people yeah. like Rush Limbaugh, the message has gotten s- slowly worse. You know, when they started out, 
they were right wing, but they were they weren't beating people over the head with right. with their beliefs or whatever. I guess maybe maybe it's just whatever they think people will listen to mm-hmm. at this point. But they're now they're they're all saying round up people, you mm-hmm. know, um, mm-hmm. hate people because they're gay. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like. It's it's just comical. The whole thing is comical to me. It is, and yet it, it's working. <laughs> yeah. And that's what's like. And regardless of whether or not Trump is around or uh, anybody else is around, we're still dealing with primitive people coming from. And, and I don't mean they're primitive like they're lesser than me. They're just people that haven't. Nobody has t- instructed them in the value of second guessing their like base emotion of fear of other I think it may be like, more sinister than that. Yeah. I think they know what they're doing. I think mm-hmm. they know what they're doing and it's calculated. And it, you and mean it's, the, I'm talking about the people that are coming to the rallies. Oh, the oh people, yes, I think that's basic. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. These uh, these are people being manipulated yes. very by people who know exactly what the fuck exactly, they're doing. Yeah. And it, that's what's frightening is that there's a whole lot of people that have been re- really indoctrinated in a fucked up way and they yeah. can be got to do just about anything. You know, yeah. we've seen that before. I don't think this is we're in a, any uh, rise and fall of the Third Reich type situation because <laughs> our government has checks and balances and there's not enough power resides yeah. in any one particular branch of That's it. That's true. I mean, I think a lot of it's being manipulated by large corporations now, which is mm-hmm. extremely dangerous. Always has been. <clears throat> and um, it's it's really blatant now, though. Um, you see, you know, I mean, just take a look at the lobbying that goes on mm-hmm. for um, just Google. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I, I know yeah. it's and it's like it's not a fucking outlandish. I just turned your mic down just the tiniest bit and All it right. like affects it because I was getting so much bass. Oh uh, yeah. It. Um, what was I think? I can't remember what I was saying. Oh well. What did you just say? <laughs> I was talking about uh, the corporations. Oh, yeah, so the lobbying, right? Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, it makes sense, right? Like, these guys are a huge part of the economy. They employ, they used to employ a lot of people. And so w- what they're saying is, like, you know, I don't want you to enact this p- policy or I need you to enact right. this other policy because this is going to affect my business and then I'm not going to be able to do blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, and and yeah. people do rightly listen to them. And I understand the, the why the banks were bailed out because if they weren't, we would have freaked the fuck out. Oh, if yeah. If our money was gone, if you just said that bank failed and your money's gone. Right, yeah. You know, no. That would have been bad. They yeah. didn't bail the banks out. They bailed the people out that had their money in the banks. Right. You know, and as it turned out, the banks got to... That, you know, stay in business. And, yeah, that. Yeah, uh, I, that. I agree with that. I, you know, I didn't give much thought to the bailout for the the automakers. I didn't give, really give it much thought. Now, now that I think about it, I'm not sure that was probably the best use of money. But no, the thing, <laughs> the thing that, it, in my opinion, and um, is that the, our biggest issue is the free trade thing and making it too too easy and too cheap to do business overseas right. instead of doing it here that the most socialist thing I'd like to see is that American manufacturers are basically somehow compelled to, to, I agree. to manufacture yeah. here. And it really would be better for them. They wouldn't it's need true. to have the ship made in China if they were paying people good wages here and they could afford to buy more shit. Exactly. You know, but <clears throat> I don't know, you know, I don't know all the, all the fucking threads. Of well, you this, know, but that that's just a, seems logical. That's a fundamental thing, though. Mm-hmm. You know, make make workers happy. You get better product. Mm-hmm. You get p- 
people that stay on forever. They don't have to spend as much money training people. They, right. I think the last time I saw the the cost to train somebody and like an average cost was like seventeen hundred dollars just yeah. to train them. Yeah. Um, but if you have people that stay at a company for twenty years, think of how many times you don't have to pay that. Right. Now they're saving right. all that money. But the person care. adds more and more value to your organization exactly. all the time, and it's really short-sighted to look at like, oh, I could just bring in this other dick and pay him ten dollars exactly. an hour. Yep. You know, um, but it, so you grew up in Lynchburg. Did, did is this the classic rock and roll story of like getting into music in the church and? Like, <laughs> Funny <laughs> enough, yeah, I started yeah. singing in church when I was three. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and um, started playing piano around age three. Wow. And. Uh, um, you know, did that till I was like 13. Started my first band when I was 13. Um, what was that band called? <sighs> <laughs> we were called the Outspoken Minority. <laughs> That's not bad. Was it? That sounds like hardcore or punk. It, it was kind of. Um, I think. I think what we most wanted to sound like was the first Cure record. You know, mm. that really kind of punk first Cure record. Less key, less synthesizer. No synthesizer. It's just it's a three piece. It's just guitar, bass, and drums. And um, I mean, my only frame of reference. I, I first time I heard Sam Hain and Misfits was around thirteen, because mm-hmm. um, I wasn't really allowed to listen to rock music growing up. I so when I got into <laughs> when I got into high school, when somebody handed me a Sam Hain tape, it like knocked the top of my head off. You mm-hmm. know? And then a buddy gave me Evil Eye by the Misfits, mm-hmm. and I heard Black Flag's first four years. Fortunately, that's the first stuff that I heard outside of whatever was in the air, you know, in the 80s. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever was playing, be it Born to Run, you know, right. Born in the USA or Hall and Oates or whatever was going on. Very and I, and I like rock. those things too, you know. But um, the thing that really struck me was the stuff that people gave me first that was outside of that, you mm-hmm. know. And um, and that's what I did until I moved to Richmond. I was 18 when I moved to Richmond. What kind of Baptist churches anyway? Southern Baptist, Primitive Baptist, uh um, he, it's funny. I, I, I'll say he's Southern Baptist cause that's kind of what it seems like to me. My mm-hmm. dad doesn't like that term. He says they're independent fundamental. Hmm. Um, I don't really know what the difference is to be honest with you. <laughs> I don't really either. The main thing that I know is that it seemed like the Baptist came out of getting all of the fancy shit out of church. Like yeah. the stained yeah. glass and all the statues it's, and it's all It's really of... simple people. And I mean that in a good way. Like, mm-hmm. I do have a real fondness for growing up in that environment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know if I so much like to spare the rod, spoil the child part of it. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but, um, you know, I grew up with some really caring people that really helped out, you know. Mm-hmm. And I saw, one thing I do see is my dad had this commitment, you know. Mm-hmm. He's he's still preaching. He's six, He just turned 68. He's been preaching since, I think, 72. Mm-hmm. And um, he, I've seen him. You know, I've seen him do some really great things for people that really needed help, mm-hmm. um, and that stuck with me. That's the stuff I like to talk to him about, mm-hmm. and really, you know, really yeah. struck me. The acts. Yeah, there was a family in the church when I was little that um, their car broke down. There was no repairing it to get the church. He gave them our car. We were getting a new one. He wow. gave them the car instead wow. of trading it in, and um, and that was it. You know, mm-hmm. that guy became a deacon in the church. You know, and I grew up with that family. You know. Mm-hmm. So it was cool to see things like that happen growing up. Yeah. And that it really struck me, you know, that uh, that was the important part of church was that community. Yeah. And, um, and caring about people that, you know, are taking care of the people you really care about. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it it seems to me that that paradoxically that when you really start thinking about how you can help other people, that that really gets you yeah. out of your the shit that you're doing to yourself most oh, yeah. of the time where oh, you're yes. feeling shitty. Yeah. You don't have time to <laughs> you can't feel shitty when you've just given somebody your right. car. Yeah. Like, you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and it's funny, man. It, it works really on a fundamental level. Yeah. It's definitely worth doing. It's not about false fucking like hypocritical like oh I'm just being showily generous. Yeah. It's like it is a absolute practical oh, even high the little, that you even get the littlest things like you know hand a buck to somebody in front of you in line at the mm-hmm. grocery store if they need it, you know. It makes you feel like a million bucks mm-hmm. even if you just given them a dollar, you know. Mm-hmm. You go home and it's like, "Hey, I feel pretty good." Yeah. <laughs> you know, you cannot feel like shit. It's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a cornerstone of that. So the reason I ask this is that my dad was raised primitive Baptist, but I didn't go to that church because yeah. you, you kind of go with what your mom was, and that was Catholic. Right. And, so we had all the shit, the crazy pagan shit. Yeah. Know, <laughs> altars and priests and, and yeah. idolatry and all that, you know. My crap. wife grew up Catholic. And and I, I think that's the thing is that, you know, they, they see all that shit as false idols. Right. Right. And, um, and but and it was just normal for me. Yeah. But my grandmother died in... in it's 2010, and I went to her funeral at a yeah. uh, Primitive Baptist Church in, in uh, Fairfax County or Annandale. Okay. And no organ, no piano, nothing. The the the, the, the it was an elder. It wasn't like a yeah. uh, a priest or no preacher. Not preacher, not even. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was a preacher for all intents and purposes. Right. But or they whatever. didn't call him that. Right. Huh. And the coolest thing to me about it was they sang a couple of songs like Gather by the River yeah. and uh That's the stuff I grew up yeah, on. Yeah. And did it a cappella. Yeah. And he was just he started us off up there and, and he started fucking rocking around singing yeah. it and then we all started singing. I was like, Holy shit, this is yeah. like this is what I like about rock and actually at both of these funerals for my grandmother and grandfather they talked about the joyful noise unto the unto yeah, the lord that's big yeah yeah and it like um it actually got me kind of teary because i've been like i've been after that yeah most of my life like trying to make some noise make some music and yeah all that did so did it was there a segue for you kind of from that ecstasy of like music in the church to like playing it live i mean it, did it seem like know, since a, i started so young playing it just always seemed like that's what I wanted to do, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't remember a time in my life that that wasn't what I wanted to do with my life, mm-hmm. you know, um, at even at that age. Um, what what really stuck with it, I mean, I stood beside my mom. My mom was a great singer, and I stood beside her, and I heard her voice. She has a soprano, and I mm-hmm. heard that voice every Sunday. I can hear it right now in my head, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was all those, shall we gather at the river, mm-hmm. you know, Amazing Grace, mm-hmm. all those old you know written in 1880 mm-hmm. hymns mm-hmm. you know um but <laughs> the funny thing is wh- while we weren't allowed to listen to rock music my dad was a james brown fan oh yeah of all things <laughs> i guess that was one thing that stuck with him from his old ways you mm-hmm. know and um my parents kept their 45s from the 60s and i found them pretty young i was probably five or six and i had one of those little solid state Mm -hmm. suitcase Mm -hmm. record players so i did you know i did get to listen to buddy hike i guess they thought that stuff was okay you know Mm -hmm. it was a little safer than what was going on in in the Mm -hmm. 80s Mm -hmm. you know i guess two live crew came around the 80s (laughs) right (laughs) yeah (laughs) but uh you know i remember finding james brown papa's got a brand new bag i remember finding peggy sue in that Mm -hmm. stack 
those two probably were my favorite records. I like, mm-hmm. played those constantly, and that was probably my first kind of segue finding out there was something else. You know, mm-hmm. it's funny people kind of kid me. I never heard Led Zeppelin until I was like seventeen or eighteen. <clears throat> I'd never heard it. Right. It just didn't hit my radar, especially since I found punk rock first. You know, mm-hmm. that wasn't cool. <laughs> right, right, right. But I'd never, I'd never heard Led Zeppelin one. I was, I think I was eighteen when I heard that. But um, that segue definitely was probably Buddy Holly and James mm-hmm. Brown, young, and then the punk rock thing at thirteen, where guys were giving me cassette tapes, and I was like listening on my walk, went on the bus. What were you home. thinking when that music was coming into your, like, I mean, was that a was that any kind of rebellion to you, or you just straight oh, yeah. up like thought well, it sounded good? It seemed really, really dangerous. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Just read some of the Misfits lyrics. Right. You know, Hack the heads off little girls and right. put them on my wall. <laughs> Your <laughs> you features know? in an oblong box. <laughs> dime, I dime. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you start hearing. I mean, some of it is, you know, it's familiar. It's some of the Elvis stuff happening. You right, know, right. And, and the music of the Misfits was really kind of a throwback to mm-hmm. you know 50s and 60s music. Yeah, the melodies for <clears> sure. Yeah, and it was just mm-hmm. revved up a little bit, mm-hmm. which was even more exciting to me, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I mean, I'm, I suppose part of it was rebellion, but I just really liked the sound. It sounded dangerous and it sounded mm-hmm. adventurous, you know. It was just something different. I'd never heard anything like it. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like from another planet. Um listen to uh, nervous breakdown you know is there anything else still that sounds like that maybe mm-hmm. off because it's the same right. dude singing right right you know but you mean the the black flag nervous breakdown yeah 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 i mean yeah yeah there's nothing there is nothing like that it's always weird to me to t- i mean because you and i have a lot of in common about like music that we like like i encountered you i guess when you were in your 20s mm-hmm I was like 28 when Drag Strip Syndicate was going on, yeah. and I had come on this trajectory of going up to New York, and 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 I was actually educated into like no, you know, all of that stuff you've been looking for. It's like it's in the strip down. It's not about yeah. like overwrought. It's not about major amplification. It's yeah. not about production. Yeah. It's this this energy that people put into it, and you and it's lightning in a bottle. Yes, like you can't like. Um, you can't quantify it. You can't repeat it necessarily. True. You just got it or you don't got it. Yeah. You know? Exactly. And when I came back here, it was I, I, it was Drag Strip Syndicate and Ultra Bait were my two yeah. favorite bands for, <laughs> for where my tastes were at yeah. that point. But I I came to appreciating punk rock like that like pretty late. Like like yeah. in my 20s when oh, I was wow. in New York working at Matador. I didn't not like it, but yeah. it didn't like... I mean, I you know, I liked the Ramones, but all of it seemed very... Um, silly or, or uh, suburban to right me. and i grew up in this neighborhood so um like i didn't um i it didn't resonate with me and i, right. and I, I really really loved it later yeah. but like um uh metal was the thing right <laughs> it was like when i saw killers in the bin that, that maiden record yeah. and there's like the eddie standing with the bloody axe that scared yeah. the shit out of me and yeah. like, i had to check that, that out that seems yeah. dangerous too you know mm-hmm. i didn't find metal I was in my 30s. Mm-hmm. Like I just ne- it didn't hit me. You know, I hit the punk rock thing and went off on that. And then after the punk rock, I found like the MC5 and the Stooges mm-hmm. and stuff. You know, you start digging for where it came from. Yeah, yeah. But metal, I just didn't even give it any time until mm-hmm. I would say even in the last like five or six years. Mm-hmm. And then I started realizing how great Judas Priest was and how great Iron Maiden was. And those are probably my two favorites mm-hmm. of, of the like 
early metal bands. Yeah, and they so. fall like on this spectrum. There's this this anthropologist that did a movie a few years ago called The Headbanger's Journey. Uh-huh. Did you ever see that? Uh-uh. Like and he was he broke it down like all the different like kind of <laughs> oh, genres. Oh wait, is the guy that goes to the, all the festivals yeah. in Scandinavia and all? Yeah, yeah yes, yeah. I did. He's see talking that. about black yes. metal and all of that. And I never really had anybody break down for me. I think I watched that and then the movie about the Lords of Chaos kind of scene with the burning of churches and right. Burzum yeah. and all of that. And I didn't know there was an aesthetic that they were intentionally going for that right. like. They wanted it to sound as cold as possible. Yes. Like no soul in this. <laughs> the shittiest mics turned to the most tr- highest treble setting. Right. And yeah. Empty. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But um, but he bro- he did this like family tree, you know, and oh, like yeah. yeah, he puts the Stooges and Black Sabbath and, right. and they they kind of almost were like mom and dad of this right. whole thing, you know. That's it's true. Yeah. It's kind of sprung off from there. Yeah, I get that. You know, Deep Purple and. What else at the time? I mean, probably Hendrix is kind of even kind of a, a parent to that stuff, mm-hmm. you know. But I just didn't. It depends on what which of the next tendril you go into. If it's virtuosity and right guitar um, masturbation, yeah. <laughs> but I still, I mean, I still haven't found. I mean, I haven't found any of the the Cookie Monster vocals that I like. You know, I don't like any of that that I've no. heard. Um, I do appreciate musicianship when I hear you know bands that are. But it's not something I'll listen to. Like I, I will listen to an Iron Maiden record from front to back. Yeah, you know? yeah. But um, I can't say that you know, I would. I don't even know what's out there. I'm, I, I can skim the top like Slipknot. I know right. it doesn't really do anything for me. You know. Are they even still? Are they still around? <laughs> I have no yeah, idea, yeah. man. <laughs> I happen to hear that. Like I said, I'm. I have a small sampling of what's out there. You know. And I have friends that are in great you know metal bands mm-hmm. and that, um, I think are doing good stuff i don't know if you know eric suggs band demon eye oh yeah have you seen them yeah i've seen them and you know he was on here oh really yeah he was like i don't think i've heard that one it's was like almost it was probably over a year ago yeah 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 we've been we are pretty close contact on facebook you know yeah so um yeah i and i like demon eye and they're 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 a very specific kind of like proto doom yeah kind of thing like before wino and the obsessed and stuff like whatever influenced right. that yeah captain beyond i hear like captain oh, beyond yeah, and yeah. you know and and some of the deep purple stuff that's what i hear in demon mm-hmm. and that's and the 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 recordings of theirs i haven't heard the recording strikes me live. because uh it has that natural sound like like the 60s and early 70s stuff mm-hmm. that really st- sticks with me you know i love the sound of those records and that's mm-hmm. what i feel like Dem- demon eye has accomplished Kind of like graveyards done the same thing too. Mm-hmm, it's like mm-hmm. it's not the same chunky guitars that you hear all the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe there are a ton of bands out there, and I don't know enough about it. But I feel like they're those couple of bands are doing something different. You know? Yeah, I like the new Sword record. The uh, high, the country one. The um, what is it called? High con- High Country. High Country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always like those guys too. I they. Um, I don't think they get a fair shake 100%. Because, like, JD can really write, you know. Yeah, JD and I were in a band before Drag Strip. Oh, yeah? Yeah. What was that? Burn, Witch, Burn. Do you remember? Um, I I remember Ben White. Yeah. Well, I tried out for the Ultimate Dragons on drums. The Ultimate Dragons basically (laughs) were Burn, Witch, Burn without me. And, well, they had Trivet on drums. Mm -hmm. Um, Gentry was the drummer in Burn, Witch, Burn. But it was Ben and JD did that immediately after Burn Witch Burn. 
I think that band. I think I do like remember that. Well, you guys have played at Hole in the Wall, and or was it before that even? I'm sure we. I don't know. If, maybe the we we really just stayed on the road. Like mm-hmm. our first show was the first show of our first tour. So as soon as we had enough songs, we just hit the road in that band. Um, and that's probably why it didn't last very long either. Because <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, we were still trying to figure out really what we wanted to do. You know, we put out one. 45 and that was it but uh we had some fun um but i could definitely see jd and ben going that way too and mm-hmm. you know i was going more grand funk and yeah mc5 and they were going more black sabbath yeah. you know to the so-called stoner rock right. direction yeah and that was like trivet's been in and out of that band based on whether <laughs> or not he could stomach doing that right because that's not really his thing he's more of like melvin's i guess and yeah well, I don't know. I got that. I tried to play the stuff that he was playing on that record, and I, I mean, I could, but like, <laughs> it was different than how I would have approached it. The new you thing know? that him and Dave no, Donato were doing? No, no. Like, I, I learned the songs that the Ultimate Dragons were oh, doing okay. back then, like uh, <laughs> Drag Star. No, what was the, the the song that was named after the ship in um, Heavy Metal? I, I can't remember. It was a total, st- all awesomely stoner, you know, like. It was good. I I helped record their first EP too. I'm trying to remember. I I like. I mean, I learned the songs. And I tried out for them, but I like choked in the uh, in the practice. <laughs> and then and JD was like, "Still, I think you're the guy. Let's just work on them together." Yeah. And like where I was at, I was like, "I don't. I just want to either have it or not have it. <laughs> I ain't working on shit. Yeah. Like, you know, it's my problem all with music. <laughs> That's why that guitar just sits there by itself over there." <laughs> I just want it all to just kind of come together. You know? <laughs> That's happen. tough, man. That's tough, mm-hmm. especially at our age. You know, people start peeling off. Yeah. I mean, we've we've had it happen. It's kind of a running joke now. I think with all of our friends and Horsehead, Aaron was talking to a family friend of ours recently, and and he said, "What the fuck's going on with the Horsehead lineup?" Because <laughs> really, in ten years. Kevin and I are the only original members. Yeah, and we've gone through a lot of other. You just people. added Ricky Tubb on drums. Yeah, is that right. That's a good there. choice. Yeah, he's good. It's been a joy playing with him. He's I've known him for a long time. Yeah, and I always thought it'd be fun to play with him. And then when he came in, we tried out a couple other people, and it, although they were good, it just didn't feel right, you know. Um, and we all knew it. Even the people that were trying, I was like, it just isn't. Doesn't feel right. We decided right then and there. It's like, mm-hmm. this isn't going to work out. And then Ricky came in, and it was just, like, perfect. You know, mm-hmm. it just, the attitude was perfect. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, being able to get along with somebody is 90% of being in a mm-hmm. band. Mm-hmm. You know, the mm-hmm. other 10%, they can play the songs. You're yeah. pretty good. Yeah, but there's lots um, of people who can play that you don't want to hang out with. <laughs> I've been in a band with those people, too. Yeah. Um, but Ricky came in, he, he knew the songs that I'd sent him and we had a great rehearsal and that was it. We asked him at the end of the thing, it's like, do you want to make this your full time deal? You know? Oh yeah. Yeah. So, but he's not, is he still doing glass twin? Or I don't know if he's doing, I don't think he's doing that anymore. Oh yeah. Um, but, and I don't know if, I don't think Bucket's doing anything anymore mm-hmm. either. Cause I know they were starting to kind of wind back up and. I don't know if he's just not playing with them or if they're not doing anything anymore. I mean, Ricky is one of my favorite people uh, in general yeah. and like as a musician because he he can kind of do it 
all. Yeah. And he's not dour or uptight or serious about fucking nope. any of it. Nope. He's uh, like, I've never, se- I, he is always smiling or making a joke out of something. Oh, it's yeah. like, you know, and like, that's such a, that's so rare in this town. Like, yeah. I forget who said it is like so many, there's this level of intensity and seriousness about it. Um, the stakes are so high because, or I forget how it goes. There's no, there's no stakes, but people act like there's really yes. high stakes. And like, yeah. there's, it, there's this real intensity and self-consciousness to a lot of shit that goes on here. And he's never been like that. He's just always been like, I'll rock with you. Yeah. You know, put Some, me in the drums. Something, you know? you know, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, I was talking to someone recently. I can't remember who it was, but, or I won't say who it was, but they said in Richmond, it's funny everybody wants you to do well in music, all the people in other bands and stuff, mm-hmm. until you're doing better than they are. <laughs> mm-hmm. yes. And that seems, to, I mean, I see, I, I have friends that play in other towns where like, no matter how good you're doing, they're happy for you and they're mm-hmm. rooting for you. But it seems like here for a long time, and I hate to sound, you know, so, uh, I don't know, morose about it or whatever, or just cynical about it. But it seems like if you, have something good going even if it's, i don't even i don't even i'm not even talking about like going on great tours or opening for great bands or anything i'm talking about having a great band that sounds good mm-hmm. just know. being a fan yeah and, and if you're you know there's healthy competition which yeah I, like i when i lived in new york the shit that other people were doing like made me want to do more. Yeah. Like I'm like, oh, you mean I can't just hang out on a bar stool and talk shit? Like right. if I yeah. I gotta Go do it. Gotta do some shit. Yeah, do and it. And I feel like in this town, there's this level and, and I'm not saying this to put it down, I'm saying it as hasn't having had an intimate relationship with it. There's a level of insecurity driving most of what's going on here. <laughs> that like you Are you talking about me? Not you. <laughs> never. No. No. <laughs> some, <laughs> don't take this personally. <laughs> But and I mean that as like not to be diagnosing somebody else. I, again, right. I mean it like I've I know it because when I played in the Devil Tones, for instance, I was instead of just enjoying the fuck out of my band yeah. and, and playing with those guys and writing songs, I was always worried about are we like do do people like us or not? Yeah. You know, or and, taking a look and seeing what else other people. Are yeah, doing. I'd be jealous of like what the other bands were doing and yeah. um and. And I don't think that's super particular to me. I'm just be honest about it. I'll I'll, I'll admit it. But yeah. like I see that like that look that people have where it's just kind of like they're take they're being really serious, but on the inside, what they really are scared shitless that yeah. somebody's gonna like say they suck or yeah. they you know they're a fraud. And this this one thing that you don't come up against in this town that would benefit everybody is everybody gets told they suck. Right. And everybody has <laughs> yeah. to get over you your best shit happens on the other side of that. Yeah. Where you like you are the worst band. You have got to on you have to rise and, above it. And somebody writes a scathing review about you. Big fucking deal. You move on. Exactly. You yeah. know? And it's all the best shit happens after you realize you're doing this for you and you're doing this. Yes. Your band and and people, if you build it, they will come. Yeah. You know, you're not gonna like. Maybe not everybody's gonna like you, but yeah, somebody is. And exactly. If you're honest and you're really putting your ass into it. Have you noticed um, that uh, girl Lucy Dacus? I keep seeing stuff about starting her. Starting to yeah, she's getting a foothold. You know, mm-hmm. Art Rolling Stone keeps writing about her, and now she's playing Lollapalooza, and she's been written up in a lot of magazines and stuff. Um, got a tour coming up, and I've you know, I start hearing rumblings of people that I'm acquainted with and stuff talking about how she doesn't deserve it or, you know, mm-hmm. what has she done or show me a good song. And I'm like, 
first of all, have you heard this record? It's full of catchy pop songs. Mm-hmm. If you don't understand that, right. you are listening to the wrong record, and it wasn't meant for you. Mm-hmm. You know. Two, none of us know how hard she's worked. She came out of nowhere, but she might have been writing songs for the last ten years mm-hmm. and handing them out to everybody, mm-hmm. and couldn't just couldn't get a band together or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I just keep, I keep hearing that. It's like, guys, be happy for her that she's getting above the noise. Mm-hmm. And it only brings more attention back to Richmond mm-hmm. too, you know. Even mm-hmm. if they don't like what she's doing, why not just be happy? Oh well, suddenly you know, every music website in the country is paying attention to Richmond. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing for that everybody. That is a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, like I said, I understand it, and and I think this is the. If anybody were to ask me, what does Richmond need to do to grow up? Is, is kind of get over this shit, right. like you know, <laughs> jealously guarding whatever the fuck your little like clique is right. in this <laughs> town, and never going anywhere else, yeah. and just aging into that that clique the rest of your fucking life. Yeah. I'm not. You're not a piece of shit for doing that. I'm just saying there's a whole lot more <laughs> out there. There's, there's a, a lot, lot more fun. It, it would be a lot more fun if you found yeah. shit to like and yeah. things instead of this painting yourself into a corner with what you Agreed. are hating on. Um, so, you know, I had different ideas about when we talked about like going through this Iggy yeah. pop record yeah. that we could maybe play each song. We're already at 44 minutes. So. <laughs> so you want to talk about it a little bit? We could just talk about it. Yeah. And maybe, I mean, we could play our, I could play a little bit of the favorite songs. Okay. Let's see. Um, so I'll go first with All one right. of mine. Um, I really like, uh, I mean, I gotta get this thing, the album queued up here. I like this, right. uh, break into your heart song oh, the very first song. song yeah and it was a, a really welcome surprise to me uh when when that song came out because gardenia was a little too um like spoken word for me yeah and plus it was creepy because it's like an old man talking about some woman's ass <laughs> right yeah that wasn't working for me <laughs> but it's iggy i take that in in context you know it's iggy talking about a young woman's ass but <laughs> so let's tried this before so we'll oh, right see how it sounds Josh Homme, I'm pretty sure they recorded that at Rancho de la Luna out yeah, in uh, I think so. I've seen Joshua a little Tree. A little bit of some photographs and stuff. And uh, everything that they record there sounds phenomenal. It really does. And it's kind of like that thing that you were saying about the 70s records. Mm-hmm. There's there's some space between the instruments, yes. you know? And like when whatever distortion, whatever amp they're using, I mean, everybody's using the tube amps to get that warm thing where it breaks up just right. Yeah. But there's room between the guitar and the bass, kind of. Yeah. And somebody once said, you know, like the Sabbath stuff makes you listen into the drums. Mm -hmm. So the drums are sort of central. Just like this stuff. The drums Mm -hmm. aren't huge by like modern standards. Mm -hmm. The bass is what takes up all the low end, which makes it stand out against the guitars. That's what all the great records yeah, have. They're, they're coordinated like that. Like I often, like when I was playing guitar, I was trying to get a sound that was like the bass was in my guitar right. instead of like, well, the guitar just, Best the bass to stay out of the way. Be, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. So there's space between the instruments and even that like first Danzig record had that kind of space, you oh, know? Yes. I in love there. that record. Yeah. Everything just kind of hits and thuds and is like, yeah. you know, there's, um, you want to, whatever this reviewer said about the South, right? You want to go in there. Like you put your attention in and you're somehow in the middle of the instruments yeah. and stuff. And I felt like everything he was recorded for those desert sessions Oh yeah. That have led up to this cuz this I think is kind of like a basically a desert session where Iggy Pop wrote the yeah, majority of it. Yeah. I mean the only thing different I feel about it is it definitely feels like or sounds like Josh was writing for Iggy. Mm-hmm. It sounds like stuff that could have come off the idiot. Yeah. You know, it really sounds like that stuff and it, yeah, I mean I think Queens of Stone Age are probably fairly influenced by that stuff anyway. Mhm. But I think he was really shooting for that, mm-hmm. that type of feeling, you know, and the lust for life era a little bit too. Right. Some of the little peppier stuff that it's got that the one sort that's of almost dark... kind of disco-y sounding. Yeah, you know that that's a little more like lust for life kind of stuff. Which one is Sister Midnight on? That's on the Idiot or the or the Lust for Life. Uh, it's on Idiot. Yeah, so that that this record reminds me a little more of the Idiot in that it has this kind of dark you know kind yeah. of shadowy like sleazy aspect to it yeah. you know and i mean lust for life has got all these really kind know, of peppy yeah, yeah. that's what i meant 16. like the little kind of dick <laughs> disco-y song on this record is mm-hmm. kind of reminds me of lust which for is life. that i can't remember what it's called i've listened to it all the way through every day for the last three days well, what's your favorite you last have... track on the record is my favorite song on the record oh yeah paraguay yeah all right let's let's listen to that one for a minute Wild animals they do. I love songs that start Never with harmony. A little acapella harmony. Yeah. Just to do what they goddamn do. <laughs> Wild animals they do. Never wonder why. Just to do what they goddamn do. Some of the best lyrics he's written in yeah. 25, 30 years. There's wisdom in it. There, like, and he's actually singing yeah. on this one. And like, you would think that he can't hold a note, right? You know. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, but you know, if if you look at those last, cut, you know, if you can call them Stooges records, those last couple of Stooges records, and the last few Iggy records, I mean, even going back to like, I'd say the last really good Iggy record was probably Naughty Little Doggy, mm-hmm. and that was what, 91, mm-hmm. 92? I don't even think I listened to that. So I remember Skull Ring around that, was that around that's, that time? No, nah, that's a little later. I think that's like late 90s, oh, late 2000, yeah. Um, and uh, and I, that one's okay. It's got some odd choices for duet type things on that record is that the one where he does the song with the girl from the b-52s yeah Uh yeah oh no no that's brick by brick oh that's brick okay but uh skull ring was like yeah i had members of green day and stuff on it it was the first uh reunion of the living members of the stooges Mm -hmm. which was awesome because when he did that it was like okay they're gonna get the band back together Mm -hmm. and you know 
I took the trip to see the Stooges, I think, second show back together uh, in New York, and it was mind-blowing for somebody that's like the Stooges for I'm, that long. You know? <laughs> I love the Stooges, but part of my, unfortunately, part of my love of them is the way they looked then, uh, <laughs> you know? I'm kind of yeah. superficial that way about, like, right, you yeah. know, punk and yeah. um, looking at Ron Ashton with that weird jolly, like, right. you know. <laughs> the <yeah>. goatee. <laughs> Hawaiian shirts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's got that goatee that just, you know, just offsets, basically. Yeah. That's fucked up. That, that's my, <laughs> you know. It's a but... shame. Because I'll tell you, man, when I saw him in New York that, that first time back, um, it was for the Underground Garage Festival. Mm-hmm. Did you go to that? I didn't. Is that the little Stevens underground? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he had a big festival. It was like when he first got national syndication mm-hmm. and stuff. And in the same day, I, I mean, the New York Dolls played before the Stooges. Um, I saw a chocolate watch Who band. Who the fuck was in the New York Dolls? It, like just David Johansson? It was basically David Johansson and Sylvain. Yeah. Um, because everybody um, else is dead. Isn't, well, they? the bassist had died like four days before. Oh, that's that. right. Right. Like, right. Just before they were in Europe, I think. And he had just died. Um, and they had a bass player fill in that quick. I don't know how the guy, I guess he only had to learn an hour, but mm-hmm. he learned it in like three days. <laughs> um, and they were phenomenal. Regardless, I saw, you know, members of the New York Dolls perform New York Dolls right, songs right. in New York, you know. Um, but it was all the great garage bands. It was like it was 2004. Mm-hmm. So some really good garage bands that were new bands at the time too, yeah. Flaming Sideburns and the Mooney Suzuki were still good. They mm-hmm. haven't like I forgot about them. Gotten signed to a major and ruined themselves. Mm-hmm. But um, seeing the Stooges because they not only was all the living members, but they even had the the guy that played saxophone on Funhouse oh, play yeah. on the set too. Well, who was that? Not Andy McKay. It's, was it? Yeah, his last name is McKay, but I don't know if it's Andy McKay was from Roxy Music, right? Yeah, it was it's a different McKay. Size, yeah, mm-hmm. but but uh, yeah, and it was just really cool to hear the Funhouse songs with the same mm-hmm. guy playing saxophone yeah. on it. You know, it was a great show. I mean, I need to get over this. Iggy was still fish. young. <laughs> Iggy was still young enough. I mean, yeah. it was that twelve years ago, so yeah. he was still in his fifties. Yeah. Um. In fact, I think the reason that the festival thing didn't come out on dvd like they said it was going to it's because iggy hung from one of the cameras during the set and uh, it never came back out again so uh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know if he kind of ruined it and or if there's some contractual reasons i don't know but uh it was a great show it was a really really great show i'm sorry i missed out on that i mean and you know and this is like uh i mean there's the the lightning bottle thing that we talked about earlier that like people can have it or not have it and then there's just me on whatever day that shit catches me <laughs> right. you know there's yeah. shit that i've like listened to and said i don't like this and you know a year later yep. I, I listen to it all, all the way through every day multiple times a yeah. day and like that is i really can't quantifier i mean like i listen to plenty of music that i think is good when i listen to it and it doesn't become a part of me it doesn't become something i care about and you know it's like those those three stooges records they hit me at a certain point where i had just started playing and i went well first of all this is a great uh, backup (laughs) for the fact that i just started playing in you know music at 25 so i only need to be this good (laughs) you know yeah but i also really like um yeah, it was totally romantic shit to me, and it really caught me at a certain time. Yeah. And I never pursued, other than the idiot and lust for life, 
I never pursued him as an artist like right. consistently. Yet he would remain an extremely important figure to me. Like, yeah. I like he's more important to me than his music yeah. is. You know. Well, he's. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's an entertaining guy too. If you mm-hmm. read an interview with Iggy, it's always going to be entertaining. Mm-hmm. I mean, shit. You read his writer. You know, you're going to go look at those writers online. His is the best one out of everyone's. I have. <laughs> give me yeah, an example. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's it talks about the PA. It has to be louder than elephants trampling something, you know. <laughs> and um, he requires four different newspapers, and one's the New York Times, one is I don't know, LA Times, USA Today. I think I think was funny because that's kind of like the comic book of right, newspapers. Right, right. And then there was a fourth one, and then some exotic teas and stuff. It was just, you know, not what you'd expect from him. He well, yeah, but, he's. I mean, he has a little. F- fluffy Pomeranian and shit. Oh like, yeah, he's like a, a funny. I think it probably is the time he spent with, but David Bowie. I well, that's Jim. actually he would say, <laughs> that's Jim. <laughs> yes, he pops the guy I am on stage. Right, Jim Osterberg, <laughs> you know, has a fluffy puppy and uh, reads the <laughs> oh, yeah. newspaper. Yeah, I mean, isn't a you know he's a kind of a bourgeois dude in yes. a lot of ways. You know, yeah. Well, he's a he's a smart guy. I mean, mm-hmm. he's a, he's a uh, well-traveled, well-read guy, mm-hmm. which is funny. You know, you listen to the, like I was saying, those last couple of Stooges records, and the lyrics are like really elementary, not, it's just not even good. Right, right. He finally came back a little with his literary knowledge on mm-hmm. this new record. You know, it's a little little more depth to it, I yeah. guess, you know. I like this one. We could, uh, and and like the the later record uh, songs on the record, I've listened to uh, Break Into Your Heart like a thousand times because oh, yeah. I think it's so amazing, and and it doesn't, correct me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't really follow a verse, chorus, verse kind of a thing. He's mm-hmm. repeating that over and over yeah. again. But then there's this part that would kind of be a bridge towards the end where they yeah. just start going, ah, yeah. you know, and it's like, I, I'm associating like a lot of different, you know, people at different stages of their life. I mean, Josh Homme, he's not a kid anymore. Right. You know, he's got a kid. He's married. He's yeah. like grown up a lot from being nicotine, Valium, Vicodin, right. you know. <laughs> All of that, and and Iggy Pop is like you know at this level, and there's this, in it there's this respect for that um, maturity yeah. experience, you know, yeah. whatever the fuck is on the other side of the parting clouds, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. when you realize shit or when when shit occurs to you that like you didn't know you didn't know, and you kind of been looking well, for it. Well, it's probably partially the neurons are firing correctly. You know, everything's <laughs> everything's beating up again. Yeah, but. You know, as you get older, you start to, you take a beat before you say something mm-hmm. or before you do something. It's always going to come out better if you take a moment to mm-hmm. think about it, I guess. So maybe that's what it is. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm speaking from personal experience. Yeah. Really. <laughs> I suppose that's how it goes for pretty much everybody of our generation. I don't think it's it, it, it's a given that people are going to grow up and mature. No, or no, whatever, no, no. Or I, have, but when it like, does happen... I. It probably it's, it's is fairly similar. That's one of the things is that you start getting. It's kind of like your dad giving that um, that car away. You know, some of the dumbest things. Like I let people get in front of me in lines. Yeah. You know, and like I, I keep trying to put myself second in these situations because it's made me really uncomfortable to be trying to advocate for myself all the time. Right. You know, <laughs> like because that's just you never. That's never like whatever it is I'm trying to achieve there is not achievable. Yeah. You know, universal <laughs> appeal. Right. right. You yeah. know, and and um, and taking these little so humility is might be what it is. You know, and yeah. and and also that there is. 
in youth there is this fucking like con- conviction that you're on to some shit that nobody the previous generation didn't know shit about you know this is linear that you're right. on the next thing these old people are irrelevant yeah and when it's you because get, you haven't seen enough yet. that's right and then when you get to that thing where you go oh you go back to your dad yeah. and you start asking him his advice on shit yeah and i think that's kind of what's going on with this record i, I feel like there's the a, a a dialogue of that of that sort like yeah. you know the, the wisdom i think thing. and i think too you know uh, with the exception of a very small contingent of and in my mind probably very wealthy people is the, the world's going to hand you your ass at some point mm-hmm. you know and that usually happens you come out the other side a little more grown up yeah um and i think it usually happens somewhere in the late 20s mm-hmm. early 30s you get there's going to be something, and, something, and you realize yeah. that you are not the center of the universe. Mm-hmm. You know, something's going to bring you down. Mm-hmm. Whatever that is, you know, it could be something menial to most people, but it's going to be central to someone right. else's growing up. Yep, know? yep. And and it's kind of like there was a, a, a superhero in the New Mutants that was able to confront anybody with their own worst nightmare and, <laughs> and knew what it was. Yeah. And there's something waiting for you out there that's your thing. Yeah. And it might not be somebody else's thing, like you said. Right. And I think two things come out of that for me is one, I get a lot more uh, aware of what other other people's struggle is. I don't know what the fuck it is, but I know that they, <laughs> they're having one. Yeah. And I try to like put myself in their shoes yeah. with that. Um. Yeah, I guess this stuff is all like it's compassion and shit. But I'm so much more interested in people that aren't cool. Yeah. Than I used to be. Yeah. You know, like just people just catch my attention in in the most odd places and stuff, and they're not doing anything remarkable. They're just human beings yes. that that like they just kind of pop out to me. You know? Yeah. And. That's a um that's probably my favorite thing about getting older or whatever the fuck <laughs> I'm on now is that I'm not yeah. painfully trying to be hip or cool. You know, I'm not self-conscious about that. Well, yeah. it doesn't exclude you from something you might find a good conversation or you know, or the next level of enlightenment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and the next you know, those those levels are really removing dumbass ideas. <laughs> you know it's that again isn't a linear thing it's actually like i believe this this turned out to be bullshit this is bullshit this is bullshit and you get down to like let me just try to take it in yeah like what (laughs) without all labels and without uh preconceived notions without fear without manipulation yeah let's check it out yeah you know it seems yeah if you're smart i feel like as you get older you know somebody's going to ask you what do you believe in if you're if you're doing it right, I think you can't answer that question. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're young, you can certainly answer the question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. Totally, I got it figured out. Yep. Got it all figured <laughs> out. So let's take it out on, we're, we're about at an hour and we could take it out all on right. one of the ones I really like, which is uh, chocolate drops. You know, that that's one? a good one too. Yeah. Another great drum sound. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to fade our voices out on it. We'll all right.
All right, yeah. So that was a great conversation and this nice little fade out there uh, on that on that Iggy Pop song, which is called Chocolate Drops, and we didn't get to the great part where it says your shit turns into chocolate drops. Inspirational message, I think. Um, and like I said, you know, uh, Horseheads playing tonight, March 26th, but they play regularly in Richmond, so if you're not listening to this podcast on March 26th, check it out. Check them out some other time. Um, very rock and roll. And, uh, uh, yeah, well, you know, this podcast, I, you know, I have endeavored so many times to make it a regular scheduled thing, trying to at least do one a week, but it's just not happening. So it happens when it happens, but I'm never, I'm not going to ever stop doing it. So haters hate away. I'll give a fuck what you think. I'm going to just keep on doing it like I'm doing it. And, uh, I got to admit, I got a resentment against i'm always hearing positive things directly from sources you know people will tell me directly that they like what i'm doing keep it up they like the intros they like this that and the other thing and i don't expect everybody to like it but i always hear the negative stuff via rumor it's just rumored and listen i don't i'm not portraying myself as an authority on everything i'm portraying myself as a guy that is just interested in having tantric conversations and it tends to be a lot with musicians. I know a fair amount about music. I've been a big music fan, but I'm no, I'm no authority, obviously. And I got there's lots of gaps in my knowledge. But I love having conversations with people that I find interesting, and I hope you enjoy listening to them. Um, I just recently heard another definition of uh, tantra that I was not aware of. That uh, that it literally means weaving. That's what we've been doing here. We're weaving individual podcast yarns between me and myself and one other person or another person and myself, which would be the correct way of saying that according to the English language. But we're also weaving a long narrative from episode one to episode 80. We're weaving, you know, one 80 people's perspective on Richmond and life and me as the common denominator means the loom and the loom the loony loom halloumi and namaste and i mean that the divine in me recognizes the divine in you my children so peace on